podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. We hope you enjoy this sermon. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com. Good morning, church. What a privilege it is to be with you all today. Today's scripture reading is from the Old Testament prophetic book of Micah. We're going to look at Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read through the first half of verse 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your holy word that shines as light into our darkness. And I pray that the same Holy Spirit who authored these words would now rest upon our hearts so that we would have eyes to see not just truth, but to see the king, the king of kings, to whom this truth points. Give us eyes to see Jesus. Give us hearts that long for and hope in his kingdom that is to come. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You can have your seat. King Herod was a self-obsessed king. He was a paranoid king. All he cared about was retaining the power that he had somehow grasped. He wanted desperately to be seen as God's anointed king. And truth be told, he wanted to be seen as the Messiah. And so he would do things like build these crazy building projects because he was so scared that posterity, that that those that would come after him would forget who he was. In fact, he rebuilt Israel's great temple in Jerusalem. But because he was such a paranoid man, he even had members of his own immediate family murdered. He had people put to death that he perceived might be a threat to him and to his greatness. And there was a reason for this. Deep now, deep down, he knew that he was a fake king. He knew that he was an imposter. And this is for several reasons. The Word of God shows that the king of Israel must be an Israelite. But King Herod was an Edomite. We knew that, that Herod wasn't really a true king. He was essentially a puppet king of Caesar who ruled in Rome. And so you can imagine how great news it was to Herod when he heard that, that some magi, some wise men from the east, had come to visit him in his royal court, that they had come to give gifts to the king of the Jews. He would have been really flattered. He would have been really excited. He, he wanted someone to be able to affirm how important he was. But that joy did not last very long. Because soon Herod figured out that they were not there to see him. These magi from the east had seen a sign in the heavens that 
had announced to them that a new king had been born, king of the Jews. They had come to give gifts. They had come to worship before him. And the only reason they were coming to Herod was more of a courtesy gift to figure out where this king had been born. So all of a sudden, this time of joy and flattery turns for Herod into this deep insecurity. He knows he's not the real king, and the true king has now been born. So in response to this, Herod essentially invites his biblical scholars, the best biblical scholars he knows, to find out where this king has been born. He wants to know where this promised king has been born. And so they pour over the ancient prophecies. I imagine them going to the ancient libraries and pulling out scrolls and dusting them off and trying to pour over the Holy Scriptures to find out where God has promised to send this king, where this new king will be born. And they find the answer. They open up to Micah chapter 5. They enroll that scroll. And they read the text, the very text that we read this morning. And from there, it is known that this Messiah, this anointed king that God is going to send, will be born of Bethlehem. However, what I want to show you is that oftentimes all that this text is reduced to is a prediction of where the Messiah is going to be born if the text is even known by people at all. But what I want to show you today is that more than just predicting where this king will be born, this is a passage about who this king is promised to be. That Micah has in his mind, this Old Testament prophet has in his mind, this vision of a king that God is sending. And I want to show you today five truths about this king that we can get from this text. Five truths that I believe filled Herod with fear and rage. That, but those five truths can also be able to give us tremendous hope this morning and in this season. So first truth I want to share with you is that this king is going to be a future king. He is the prophesied future king. Look at verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Micah, the prophet, is prophesying at the twilight of the age of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. The kingdoms of man are falling. They are failing. He's in the city of Jerusalem, and for a while now, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah have existed on the earth for a few centuries. They've been powerful. They've had a level of military might and wealth. But now there are these great empires that are growing all around them. There is Assyria that is growing to the north, Babylon that is quietly growing in the east, Very soon, the kingdom of Israel will fall, and the kingdom of Judah won't be falling that much longer after it. The house of David, this great royal lineage, has failed. God had called the nation of Israel to be his covenant people, to walk in his ways, to be a distinct people on the earth. And he had covenanted with them that if they were to do this, that he would bless them, that he would give them peace. He would give them prosperity, that he would protect them from their enemies. But God's people failed in this task. Instead of being a distinct people, they became a people that were just like the nations that surrounded them. They worshipped idols. They adopted the ways of the kingdoms of this world. And so what Micah the prophet is doing here now is he is announcing judgment upon Jerusalem. He is confronting the failure of the kingdoms of man. And so you see, toward the end of God's people dwelling in their own kingdom, there was this perpetual temptation 
for God's people to put their trust in their king, or maybe even in their own military, or in their military alliances with the nations that surrounded them. In other words, they were putting their hope in some way in the kingdoms of this world. What Micah is saying in no uncertain terms is that the kingdoms of this world will fail you. And I think that's such an important truth for us to even embrace today because we we live in a world right now, let's be honest, that is very divided politically, isn't it? A, A world that is so surrounded with division and hatred surrounding the idea of politics. And I think that's because, in many ways, people are tempted to put their ultimate hope in a political savior or in a political system, a political kingdom that will bring about the future that we want. And we have to be able to understand, as, as God's people looking at the world through a biblical framework, that politics at their very best are a flawed coping mechanism trying to deal with a broken world. A world that is broken by sin. That at their very, very best, maybe politics can mitigate the effects of sin. That at their very best, they can maybe keep some of the greater powers of evil at bay. But ultimately, in order to truly deal with the problem of evil, to truly deal with the problem of sin, we need a future king. A greater king who can once and for all end the tyranny of sin and evil. That we don't just want to put it at bay. We want it to be vanquished forever. So politics can be good, but they can never be ultimate. That we can and we should work together for the common good. As the book of Jeremiah says, that we should contend for the welfare. We should seek the welfare of the city and the nation that God has sent us to. However, knowing that this kingdom, that this world, this nation, is not our truest home. And it does not demand our truest allegiance. That we can be able to work for the common good of this world, but know that our ultimate hope is in a kingdom that is coming. This is how the psalmist says it in Psalm 118. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. That there is this constant allure of the kingdom of this world to say, give me your ultimate hope. Give me your ultimate trust. That God is reminding us that our ultimate hope must be in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. And so here is Micah's prophetic message. And this is in many ways the message of many of the Old Testament prophets. He has bad news initially that the kingdom of man is doomed. That the kingdom of man is judged that the kingdom of man will fall. But the good news is that there is a good king and a good kingdom that is coming. And that this hope of God's good king and God's good kingdom that is to come is to be our future hope. Point number two, an ancient king. That not only will this king be a future king, but in a mysterious way, he will also simultaneously be an ancient king. Now notice between verses 1 and 2 that there's a change of address. That initially, Micah the prophet is speaking to Jerusalem, but then suddenly he shifts his attention and starts speaking to the town of Bethlehem. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, he changes address, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, 
In Micah, the prophet's context, Jerusalem was the capital. It was the political center. It was also a military stronghold. And so you would think that someone who was very powerful would come from Jerusalem. But Bethlehem, on the other hand, was a a small little farm town. But it was a very famous small little farm town because David, the king of Israel, the great and mighty king of the golden age of the kingdom of Israel, came from the town of Bethlehem. So what Micah is saying to God's people at this moment is in order to look forward to the future, we have to look backwards towards the promises of God's past. Because David's dynasty, the kings that have come from David's lineage, they have failed. The house of David has failed. But God's promises will never fail. God is sending a king. He's sending a king who will rule in the future, but this king will also be one who is from of old, one who is from ancient days. This is a a promised hope. And I do believe that there's something etched deeply on the human heart that longs for that promised king to come. And you can tell that, right? Because it's on almost all of our stories that we tell ourselves and that we have told ourselves for many, many years that etched on the human heart is this hope for the once and future king, the prince who was promised, the chosen one of destiny who is coming to make all things new and to renew all things and to push back the forces of evil. That story is almost every story that we love to hear. There's a reason for that. God has carved onto the human heart the awareness that we need a king who will bring restoration. This king isn't just a good king. He is an eternal king. He's not just a promised king with a great destiny. He is the climax and even the focal point of history. The fact that he is from ancient days shows that he can't just be a good man, that this is a king who is in some sense also very divine. A king who is completely God. A king who is completely man. This is the ancient king who was promised. The promised son of Eve who would crush the head of the serpent. The promised seed of Abraham who would be a blessing to all nations. The heir of David who was promised to have an everlasting kingdom whose throne would never end. This is not just a king from ancient days. This is a king who will be the ancient of days. Point number three, the shepherd king. This king will be a shepherd king. Look at the character that is described of this king beginning in verse three. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. It's interesting because this verse presupposes that judgment will take place in God's people. That one day, Israel and Judah, their kingdoms will fall. That God's people will be scattered into the nations of the world. But one day, through this time of pain and travailing, God will send a king who will be a shepherd. And like a shepherd, he will gather his people like sheep that have gone astray. He will lead his people. He will feed his people. He will take care of his people. He will defend his people. The reason that the shepherd king image is so important is because we have here a vision of a king who is not just powerful, but a king who is also deeply good. Because human kings disappoint us, right? Even the very best among them. Micah, the prophet, prophesied during the reign of a very famous king of Judah named Hezekiah. 
And toward the end of Hezekiah's life, he was trying to make some strategic military alliances. Assyria was the big bad threat that was trying to conquer Judah at the time. And so Hezekiah thought it would be wise to be able to make a political and military alliance with this up-and-coming empire called Babylon. And so he received some diplomats from the kingdom of Babylon, and he decided to show how awesome and how wealthy he was. And so he showed them the glory of his palace. He took them inside of the Jerusalem temple And he said, hey, look at all of the treasures that God has given us. And there was another prophet at the time that said, Hezekiah, do you realize what you've done? By putting your hope in the kings of this world, by showing off your glory, by showing off your wealth, you have just invited the kingdom that is going to one day destroy your city. That one day, this kingdom Babylon is going to completely destroy this city. It's going to destroy your kingdom and bring the kingdom of Judah to an end. And you know what Hezekiah said? He said, is it going to happen in my lifetime? The prophet said, no. He said, then I don't care. And get this, Hezekiah was one of the very best kings that Judah had. And if that's what one of the good kings did, imagine how bad the kings of Judah really were. The kings of this world will fail us. When we put our hope in the kingdom of man, it will always fail us. And it it seems like whenever we experience the pain of the kingdom of this world, it is like the pains of childbirth. There's travailing, there's an acceleration where things get worse and worse and worse. But Micah the prophet says that this pain of childbirth will end in the birth of a true and better king. And that in the same way, whenever a child is born, a healthy child is born, all the, the pain and the memory of the pain is somehow now displaced by the joy of the child that has come. That when this king comes, all the pain that we've endured about the brokenness of the world, about the brokenness of the kingdoms of this world, it will be displaced by the joy that he will bring. That this will be a shepherd king. He will not be a hireling who uses his people. He will not be a tyrant who abuses his people. He will be a shepherd who cares for his people. Now, the ancient world never knew a king like this. And to be frank, we don't know a king like this either. That this is an otherworldly, transcendent king sent from heaven. A combination of power and goodness. Because this shepherd king is also clothed with the strength of God, the text says, the majesty of God. This king will be great. So not only is this a king that could rule, he is the king, the only king that should rule. The only king who is infinitely powerful while simultaneously being infinitely good. Why would our hearts not long for and yearn for this type of a king? Point number four. The king that Micah prophesies of is not just going to be the king of Israel. He is going to be the king of the nations. Look at verse 4, the second half of verse 4. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. One of the unique things about the prophet Micah, um, you see this in the first chapter, is that his prophecy is not just to the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It is to the nations. It is to the peoples of this world. In other words, the message that he is preaching isn't just for God's chosen people. It's for all people of the world. Good news for all people. This king will be a king who will rule and bring security to the ends of the earth. So, in other words, this savior is not just going to be a nationalistic savior that saves Israel. He's coming 
to bring God's kingdom to all people. He's not just coming to restore Israel to a great political kingdom. He's coming to bring redemption to all of creation. See, I I think God's people had gotten this very small vision of what their purpose was. They wanted to see their kingdom become great, to be led into a golden age to where they could be the empire that ruled over all the other nations. But God wanted something more. He wanted to bring his kingdom in such a way that it would bring restoration to all of creation. And I think a lot of times when we look to the kings of this world, we are looking for very small purposes. We might want a king. We might want a president. We might want a political leader that will end our suffering. But God wants to give us a king who will end all suffering. See, we might be longing for a king or a leader that will make our corner of the world more safe or better or more secure or more prosperous. But God wants to bring his redemption to all things, to all peoples. That this is the vision of redemption that he has that is nothing less than global. That leads us to point number five. Micah envisions a king who brings peace. First part of verse five. And he shall be their peace. Now that word peace is a very loaded word in the Hebrew language. It is probably one of the more famous Hebrew words, the word shalom. And it's not just the temporary absence of armed conflict. Shalom means wholeness, perfection. It is the state of of God's designed glory. It's a place of healing of all that is broken. And so the peace that this Messiah, this anointed king will bring is nothing less than the renewal of God's creation. And in fact, this is how the Old Testament prophets would envision this peace. This is from Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah, by the way, was a contemporary, uh, a prophet who prophesied at the same time as Micah. He says about this age of peace that is to come on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Micah says something even more The king that Micah prophesies will not just bring about this peace. He will be this peace. That he is the very essence of the shalom of God. That God has designed to come to redeem his good creation. So with that in mind, no wonder in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 that King Herod is scared. No wonder he's terrified. For this king to come means that Herod's kingdom and all other kingdoms must necessarily end. So Herod would attempt to murder this child. He would fail. Rome would attempt to crucify this child who would grow into a man. They would succeed, but he would then rise again from the grave. This is the hope of the prophet Micah. That Judah will fall, Assyria will fall, Rome will fall. But the kingdom of Jesus, the child who would be born of Bethlehem, the child whom the Magi came to worship, the kingdom of this Jesus would never, ever end. Jesus would be the future king. 
bringing an end to the failed and broken kingdoms of this world. Jesus would be the ancient king, promised from the dawn of creation, one who is completely God and completely man. That Jesus would be the shepherd king, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That Jesus would be the king of the nations, not just the Messiah of the Jewish people, but the savior of the world. That Jesus would be the king of peace, who has fought the enemies of sin, Satan, and death on our behalf. That because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, that we can have peace with God our Father. And what does that mean, that we can have peace with God? What does that accomplish in us? Well, the New Testament's very clear about that. Because we have peace with God, we can be a people who, no matter what we are facing in life, can be a people of hope. This is Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. May we be a people that long for that that kingdom of peace to be manifest. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that kingdom has been launched. It is not yet fully consummated yet, but it will be. It's for that reason we say with hope, we say with confidence, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come and reign among us. We long for the true king, the future king, the ancient king, the shepherd king, the king of the nations, the king of peace. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We wait expectantly as an Advent people, declaring the gospel of his good news, displaying the beauty of his kingdom being a people who long for this kingdom with hope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have promised to bring us a king, to send us a king. As we look into your holy word, we see that that king has come in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as surely as he has come once, he will come again. I pray now that you would awaken our hearts to let that hope be the hope that guides all of our decisions, all of our thinking, all of the way that we look at life. And Lord, I pray during this this Christmas season that we are entering into now, that we would be a people that rejoice with gratitude that you have sent your Son into this world. Help us to know that this is a, a sure down payment that the king who has come will surely come again. Let that give us hope in our despair and our darkness. Let that give us hope that brings joy. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com.